0: Time for re-engineering your finances with the founder of CP Weldy Group, Charles Weldy. Well, it's time for another episode of re-engineering your finances. Walter Storholt here alongside Charles Weldy, founder at CP Weldy Group, serving you throughout the Delaware and Chester County areas with an office in Chad's Ford, PA. There on Route 52. You can find us online at CP Weldy Group. Dot .com and you can find the reengineering your finances podcast on all the major podcasting apps including at that website. Charles, it's great to be with you again this week. How are you, sir?
1: I'm doing well, Walter. My pleasure. How you doing?
0: Doing great. Looking forward to today's conversation, our variable annuities, the lima beans of the financial world. I asked Charles to fill in the blank with his least favorite food there. Uh, why lima beans? You're not a big fan of lima beans?
1: Well, I come from a big family. There's like uh, 13 of us, and I remember when my mom made lima beans maybe once a week. Nobody so really what, ate it. What's them.
0: an economical way to feed all those people, right?
1: Yeah, load up the lima beans. <laughs> That's too funny.
0: Uh, but look how you, know, you turned out big and strong and healthy from all those lima beans, right?
1: Now, nah, you know what? I put them in my pocket to eat my potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> so they,
0: they weren't the secret to your success, unfortunately. Exactly. Very good. Well, we all have, I think, that food that we can't stomach, Charles. Maybe it's lima beans for you, Brussels sprouts for somebody else. Maybe it's stinky cheese for somebody like my dad. Or, and it's kind of funny, my dad loves stuff like liver, while other people can't stand the texture and idea of liver. And when I saw the other day, Charles, was Kool-Aid pickles which Hmm. I don't even know where to go with that one. Kool-Aid pickles, but there you go. Uh, You get the idea. If there is any product in the financial world that's kind of like one of those much maligned meals that so many people tend to hate on and dislike, I would say it has to be the variable annuity. It really gets uh, you know hated on and, and commented on negatively quite a bit by seemingly everyone who calls themselves a retirement planner or an advisor. And so I'm curious to know, why is that the case? Why is that the perception, Charles? And just like there's always a couple of people who actually like pineapple pizza, I'm certainly not one of them, uh, is there ever a situation where a variable annuity could be an attractive delicacy to an investor? So we want to explore all those kinds of questions on the show today. So let's start with the basics and and kind of peel back the onion here a little bit. Charles, speaking of another food that some people don't like, uh, why are variable annuities spoken about with such disdain by many in the industry?
1: Well, what comes to mind, Walter, is like we're living in a fee conscious world. And then I have to admit, sometimes variable annuities do get a bad rap, but like anything else, like a stock or a bond, I mean, there's good variable annuities, bad variable annuities. And how I would define a good variable annuity, you know, as a general statement would be, hey, you got a low cost or a reasonable cost as opposed to a high cost. Now, how do I define low cost? I would say if, you know, pretty much all in a basic variable annuity, if the fee structure is 2% or less, I think it's reasonable. Uh, once it gets to 3% or more, I think you have an area of concern. And the reason I say that is historically, if the stock market did 10 and you're giving away three, basically 30% of your gain over time has been eroded. So again, um, not here to judge and assess, but I think in the industry, uh, I would say as a general rule, high uh, variable annuities may not be a good fit, but they certainly have a place in certain people's portfolio.
0: So we have these variable annuities that get a lot of negative attention and attraction. Um, but here's what I find curious. Uh, Financial advisors that I talk to, and I think you and I have discussed this before, when you review people's portfolios, you often find variable annuities in there. So it's this product that gets really bashed, but yet pops up all the time when you're reviewing folks' situations. And so I'm curious if they're typically such a bad fit for a lot of people, why are there so many of them out there?
1: Well, I think uh, as we get older, you know, uh, a lot of us tend to be a little bit more uh, conservative in our investment approach. And realistically, uh, variable annuities, um, you know, when people are afraid of market volatility and they need to be in the market to make, you know, an enhanced return over time, uh, a variable annuity could offer principal protection. So in in the sense that if you were to pass away, there's a, you know, maybe a guaranteed death benefit. They, certain of them have income riders, which will allow you to take income for life. So again, you know, looking at it from a general point of view, yeah, there are costs associated with, but you have to weigh the costs and the benefits. And certainly for some people out there that, you know, they might not be in the market unless there was some element of protection, a variable annuity might be appropriate. Okay, very
0: interesting. How often do you find people that even realize they're invested in a variable annuity? Or maybe the better question is they they don't even realize that they're invested in a a variable annuity. They come and you you kind of are uncovering that to their knowledge for the first time.
1: Well, I would say, uh, by and large, a lot of the uh, clients or prospects that we meet, they might be in a a variable annuity if they're with a nonprofit organization. So uh, let's just take someone who works for a college or you know, a university or somebody that works for you know maybe a local charity. Chances are if they do have a retirement plan it's, it's classified as a 403B instead of a 401K. And a 403B generally Uh, these providers are insurance companies and their offerings are variable annuities and there could be an instance where some of the participants in the plan might not know that they're are in fact in a variable annuity uh, but they are so uh, that's one element the other element is people that aren't working for nonprofits. they might own a variable annuity just really just really based on maybe some of the benefits that were explained to them or uh you know because as i mentioned earlier they might be concerned about market volatility but need to be in the market and they want some element of protection so i would say as a general rule uh, the people that might not be aware that they're in a variable annuity might be people that are working for a nonprofit. Uh, it seems to, you know, uh, be prevalent in those particular plans. But by and large, the people that are not involved in nonprofit organizations that invest on their own, I would think that pretty much all of them are aware of the variable annuity that they have one. But very few know exactly how they work, the pros and the cons. I would say.
0: So we've got this conversation, obviously, of, of what to do with a variable annuity once we uncover it. We'll dive back into that in a moment. But there's a beginning problem that's just as simple as figuring out, do I have a variable annuity? And if I do have an annuity in my portfolio, what kind is it? All that kind of stuff. Can, how can somebody tell exactly what type of annuity they have when they're looking in their portfolio? And then how do you uncover some of those other important details like fees and any other info that they should know but often don't?
1: Well, um, you know, my, I guess, background in annuities have really like um, classified annuities really into four specific types. The first type would be an immediate annuity. And it's interesting, I don't really um, quote, you know, present a lot of immediate annuities. Uh, the one issue that I find with immediate annuities is that basically what you're doing is you're giving your, um, you know, savings over to an insurance company for the promise of a monthly check. And then uh, as a general rule, depending upon what features you pick, uh, when you die, that annuity dies with you. Uh, but it's interesting. I have a case that I'm currently working on. The woman is uh, about 68, 69 years old. She has no children. She's a widow, uh, has a decent amount of wealth, and she's more concerned about income for life. And I'm actually looking at an immediate annuity. And the reason being is, hey, I don't have to worry about you know, beneficiaries per se. And let's, let's just take a simple example, Walter. Let's just say this woman needed $30,000 a year. And let's just say that uh, I had a couple options. Option number one, maybe I could put her in an income fund. And let's just say for you know, uh, example purposes that she could get a 3% yield. Well, I had to tie up a million dollars, they get $30,000 a year with that particular strategy. However, if she purchased an immediate annuity, someone who's close to age 70, and again, this is just a general rule, let's just say that you could take uh, 6, 6.5% of your, um, you know, of your money out each and every year uh, with a, an immediate annuity, and I'm looking at a calculator now, uh basically she well i would just say this: she would need a lot less money you know to generate that income if she's in an immediate annuity and what that does whatever the difference is between the million dollars at three percent and really the reduced amount that she'd have to put in an immediate annuity allows that difference to be invested maybe more optimized for the future uh, so again like an immediate annuity does have its place But in my world, it's generally for people that aren't worried about beneficiaries and want to create like a lifetime income that can never go away. Does that make sense?
0: It does make a lot of sense. And that's why we've got to make sure we're we're kind of staying on top of all these details, because that's a lot of important little elements you just outlined.
1: Right. And then the second uh, item would be like a second type of annuity, be a fixed annuity. And uh, a classic example, I just uh, had a current client that had an inheritance, quarter of a million dollars. And she needed income about a thousand dollars a month. So what we decided to do is we split the actually it was two forty, not two hundred fifty thousand. But we split the two forty into two components. Component number one, we put it in a fixed annuity. The current rate is two and a half percent. It could change. It could go up. It could go down. Chances are it's not going to go up. Two and a half is a very good rate today in today's environment. But what we did that for Walter is to allow her to take out. 10% a year, which roughly is $1,000 a month to supplement her lifestyle, say over the next 5 to 10 years. So that was one component of a fixed annuity. We took uh, some of the inheritance, we actually created a spend-down account where she could spend money down in order to supplement her lifestyle. And then what we did with the balance of 120 we put it in a growth account, maybe a stock account that will grow over time. So again, uh, fixed annuity pays like a fixed rate, depending upon the term that you take, a one-year, a three-year, a five-year. Generally speaking, the longer you go, the higher the rate. And then uh, many of them allow you to take out not just the interest, but maybe a certain portion of your principal each and every year. So that's the second type of annuity would be a fixed annuity. Does that sound you know, pretty appropriate?
0: Yep, absolutely. All right. Two down, two to go.
1: Two down, two to go. So the third, and and I kind of fell in love with this back in 2003, 2004, it's called a fixed indexed annuity. And a fixed indexed annuity is a fixed annuity, hence the fixed, but index means that, hey, the rate isn't guaranteed. We don't know in the upcoming year whether you're gonna get 0% 1%, 5%, what have you. And the reason being, Walter, is that the interest that you get on that particular annuity contract is based upon the movement of a certain market index. So let's just use the S&P 500. Generally speaking today, and we're in what, year 2020, maybe the caps on these annuities are maybe 3.75%, which means this. If you bought a fixed index annuity with a cap of 3.75% and the market went up 8, you would be limited to 3.75%. That's what you're going to get. However, if the market went down 10%, you would not lose any money, but you wouldn't get any interest. So the point I want to make about these fixed index annuities are, as a general rule, you have the opportunity to make more interest in a fixed index annuity than you perhaps could make in a fixed annuity, and certain investors and certain you know, people gravitate towards fixed index annuities once they understand what the benefits of that particular product are.
0: All right, so we've got the immediate and the fixed and the fixed indexed annuity. And then I guess that just leaves us with the big one of the day that's getting all the attention, the variable annuity, right? Yeah. And the
1: variable again, you know, uh, I'm not a super proponent of it, but if I have someone that's definitely afraid of the stock market and they need to be in the stock market, I have to look at a variable annuity, hopefully a low cost variable annuity that will actually uh, give them an opportunity to make market returns with not the risk that they would take if they were in an account that didn't have that, extra layer of protection from an insurance company. So you know kind of to, to wrap up the, the four types of annuities um, you know they're all have their place and like anything else, there could be good variable, bad variable, good fix, bad fix, good, you know that type of thing. So you really have to kind of do a plan and make sure that you know exactly what the client wants and then perhaps a particular annuity strategy might be appropriate based upon you know the facts and circumstances that are uncovered.
0: All right. Last but not least, one more direction to maybe take this conversation in, Charles. Let's say that somebody does have a variable annuity that you want to escape from or that you determine isn't a great fit for their situation. I know sometimes the worry is that these contracts and situations can be very sticky and hard to get out of. Can you get away from them? Are you stuck in them? How do you evaluate that situation?
1: Well like anything else I mean generally speaking these variable annuities uh, and annuities in general they have surrender charges if you fail to like own them for a certain period of time. So let's just take maybe a 10-year product and you're in say the fifth year. So if you're in the fifth year of a 10-year product you're definitely going to have a surrender charge if you decide like hey I want to take my money out. And I try to avoid that pretty much at all costs. I mean I know there are there are like products out there where, hey, maybe if you get out a- after five years, we're going to charge you a 5% surrender charge. And then maybe there's a product out there that, hey, if you get in this particular product, you might get a 10% bonus. I really don't play that game per se because there's other strategies to actually get people out of a, maybe a bad variable annuity. And what they are is you could transfer the underlying investment accounts into a fixed account. And what that does, Walter, is it allows you like, hey, not to be in these maybe high turnover, high expense ratio mutual funds or underlying uh, investments and put the money in a general account that makes a fixed interest rate. Once you do that, your expenses basically are close to zero. So that's one strategy. Another strategy might be, hey, they might have a rider added to that particular contract, that variable annuity contract that says, hey, you know, every year, no matter what the market does, we're going to credit your account by 6% because eventually when you decide to take income, we're going to give you income based upon this higher figure as opposed to the actual figure. So if that's the case, and I really see that, hey, they're not going to really use this rider or maybe the rider isn't, you know, as, uh, as good as they thought it was initially, we might terminate the rider and get rid of that cost and ride out the remaining terms of their contract. And then, you know, a third possibility would be dollar cost averaging. So generally speaking, a lot of these annuities allow you to take out 10% of your account balance each and every year. So if I met someone in the fifth year of a contract and we both agreed that, hey, you know what, it's probably not a great fit. We might decide, hey, over the next five years, we're going to dollar cost average 10% of the account balance out. That way, there's no surrender charge. And then we can put it in a, in a strategy that might be more appropriate for the future. Um, And I kind of want to end this segment on a story that I really want to tell that happened in real life like back in 2003, 2004. That's when I really discovered, um, you know, I mean, maybe I was a little biased back then. I kind of thought variable annuities are way too expensive and, and anybody that had them was a fool. But the reality just based upon this podcast is that, hey, you know, they might be appropriate for some people, maybe not for all. But back in 2003, 2004, a gentleman came into my office and he had just purchased a $300,000 variable annuity. And when I looked at the prospectus, I realized that the carrying costs were somewhere north of 3% a year. So let's just call it 3% a year just for illustrative purposes on this podcast. So the gentleman had a $300,000 variable annuity. The internal costs were 3% per year, which is $9,000 per year. So basically I knew just being a math and science guy that every year that he owned it He would be paying $3,000 in costs even if that annuity did not grow. So basically over seven years Seven times three is twenty one thousand That's what it would have cost him if the account balance remained the same to hold that product Do you follow me so far, Walter? I follow Mm -hmm. All right Well to get out of it the surrender charge as we talked about earlier on the podcast I think it was like say six uh, percent. Let's call it six percent. So six percent of three hundred. Right? Yeah, well, <laughs> that sounds 6% significant. Of, yeah, six percent of three hundred thousand is eighteen thousand. So when I add it up, like carrying costs three thousand a year for seven years, twenty-one, and eighteen to get out, he basically made a decision that it might be more appropriate to get out of it than to carry that uh, variable annuity for you know another six, seven, eight years. So, uh, you know, today, if I if I attempted to do that, I guess my compliance department would hold me accountable. Uh, We probably would do what I said earlier in the podcast. We would probably dollar cost average out of it or, um, you know, try to enhance it one way or the other in terms of moving money from uh, an account that is variable to an account that's fixed or. You know some of the other uh, potential strategies that you know might be available so uh, again just to wrap this up on annuities uh, they're not all bad even though there's a fellow by the name of Ken Fisher that periodically puts an ad in the Wall Street Journal that actually says I hate annuities and you should too um, I think they might be appropriate for certain people based on facts and circumstances
0: I think that's the lesson to learn for any financial product: is it's just a tool, and so we don't say that hammers are bad or nails are bad or uh, screwdrivers are bad. It's just what job are you trying to do? And if you're trying to build a deck with a rubber mallet instead of uh, you know metal hammer, well, you've got the wrong tool for the job. And it seems to be the case with a lot of annuities and other products; they're, they're just tools. For your financial plan and for your financial life. And so you've just got to make sure that you're using the right tool for the right job. And that's what it comes down to. Absolutely. Well, very good. If you have any questions about annuities and what Charles has run through on today's episode, maybe you have one in your account or you're not sure of the things that make up your portfolio, that's usually a good sign that it's time to have a conversation and find out what's in your portfolio, what can be changed and improved. The number to call if you want to get in touch is 610-388-7705. That's 610-388-7705. Or you can go online to cpweldygroup.com and get in touch through the website. And we'll put contact information in the description or the show notes section of today's show, as always. Charles, thanks for the info and the help on today's show. Enjoyed the conversation with you. And uh, we'll talk again next time.
1: Thank you, Walter. All
0: right. Stay away from those lima beans, all right? <laughs> Hopefully, we all can. Uh, there you go. That's Charles Weldy. i Walter Storhold. We'll talk to you next time, right back here on Reengineering Your Finances.